Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I just got done sitting down with Mark Aaron, and we talked about the 13 things every college student needs to know. We didn't know how many we were going to end up with as we started the episode. I think we ended up with 13. If I'm wrong, somebody can check me on that. Uh, but these are just some little sayings or, or pieces of advice that we've received or uh, things we believe in that have been helpful to us and uh, hope that they're helpful to you guys. So without further ado, here is the episode with Mark. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm joined today by a good friend of mine, Mark Arendt. What's up, Mark? What's up, Mikey? This is what, your third time? Third I think time so. We did one with you and then Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, this one we're doing today, we don't know really where it's going to end up. We have an idea of where we want to take it, but we'll see what happens. We're going to be talking about, uh, we'll just say, a blank number of things every college student should know. We don't know how many we're going to throw out there, but we'll see. Um, and Mark and I have kind of compiled a few things that we think are helpful little pieces of wisdom, uh, things that have helped us in the past, and we think that will possibly help you guys. So I was talking to, uh, you know, a few people like, Hey, what do you think about these ideas? And like Austin was just in here and he's like, yeah, it sounds like a Mikey and Mark kind of podcast. So it's going to sound very, you know, I don't know, original to us. I think, uh, maybe some stuff that, I don't know, a little sharp stuff, but we'll see. I like it. Yeah. It'll be fascinating. Yep. It'll be fascinating. So here we go. First one, something that I heard, uh, when I was a counselor at a camp my buddy said hard work isn't bad it's just hard and he said his mom used to always instill that in him she'd say daniel hard work hard things aren't bad they're just hard and often i think culture steers us away from things that are hard and they'll equate that with it being bad but a few proverbs that pop in my mind proverbs fourteen twenty three says, there's profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. Um, A chapter previous, 13.4, says, the slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. And the last one, 12.24, says, the diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. And uh, one thing that I think that you see this often in culture is, the heavy push towards like go to college get your degree there's no push nowadays for like hey go to trade school learn how to be a plumber learn how to do roofing yeah you know what i mean yep um because i say hard work is bad yeah have you so are you familiar with mike rowe i mean if yeah, you yeah. listen to any of his stuff and and i think this is where he shines right mm-hmm. uh just this idea and i think everyone uh you know, listening to this, you will do well to go just Google Mike Rose sweat pledge. Yep. And he talks about this a lot and he's got 12 things. Like he gives out these scholarships and uh, he basically has people sign this sweat pledge. Part of it is to get the scholarship. And he says he's got like 12 things, but um, I think, I think this is uh A couple of these are fitting. His third one says, um, I believe there's no such thing as a bad job. I believe that all jobs are opportunities and it's up to me to make the best of them. Yep. And the second one after number four says, I do not follow my passion. I bring it with me. I believe that any job can be done with passion and enthusiasm. And I I love this uh, 
Number seven, I believe the best way to distinguish myself at work is to show up early, stay late, and cheerfully volunteer for every crappy task there is. I I just, I love that stuff because that's yeah. that's how we're raising, Leith and I are raising our kids to take these hard, you know, jobs as opportunities. And, you know, I say there's, there's, there's all this money out there. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is just go collect it. <laughs> you have to figure <laughs> out what do people need done yeah. and just go do it. And some of those jobs are hard jobs. They're dirty jobs. Um, but, but when you go out there, you work hard, you learn that stuff. Um, and, and those become opportunities and they shape the person that you are and they become opportunities. Totally. Dude, last, last Friday or two Fridays ago, I spent my off day doing a roof with my buddy. Mm. Literally the hardest work I think I've ever done. Like my joints the next day were just aching and I'm in pretty good shape. I'm a young guy, you know, can recover quickly. I was feeling it the next day. Uh, I mean, you're climbing ladders, you're lifting hundred pound things of shingles up there, moving them around. I mean, we had probably eight hours of just straight hard work, but dude made 250 bucks in a few hours. Felt good. And the day just crashed and it was like, I was talking to him. He said, dude, Mikey, there is more money in roofing than any other construction job right now because nobody wants to get up on the roof because it's hard and it's scary. But like, that's where the money is now. You wow. Know? So this is, I mean, this is totally, uh, micro tells the story about, um, this, this guy who did one of his first dirty jobs episodes. And he was this guy in Wisconsin mm-hmm. who was like a psychiatrist or counselor, or some a therapist. He yeah. made a lot of money, but, but he ended up giving it up to clean out like septic tanks. Septic right? tanks, yeah. yes. If you remember the story, but he mm-hmm. he's with this guy, and they're cleaning out this. They're literally in crap, cleaning out the city's uh, septic s- system or whatever, and they're standing there in poop. And he <laughs> he basically says, to "This guy, why did you leave your profession to yeah. go into this?" And he looks at him, and he's like. I was tired of dealing with other people's crap. Yep, right? And then and then he he says, "Do you ever get micros like do you ever get used to the smell? I mean, this is terrible. It's like splashing yeah. up into their faces and and he goes, "Yeah, it's the smell of money." Yep. <laughs> so so yeah, finding those sometimes yeah, hard work. Um one of my first jobs um detailing cars yep. you know i was a well in high school worked at a car wash and then but also in i was an intern for salt company jeff dodge hired me for my first ministry mm-hmm. job i was married working my butt off for seven bucks an hour yep. in this detail shop and yeah you learn you learn to grind you learned uh hard work and that that shapes who you are totally it's a good one that's number one number two this is actually based off of micro sweat pledge the most annoying sound in the world is whining and complaining. Mm. The most annoying sound in the world is whining and complaining. And uh, I'm going to open up my Bible here to Philippians 2.14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And, dude, we've preached on this a few times at Veritas, and every time I'm reminded, oh, wait, that's actually in the Bible, and I catch myself grumbling, complaining, arguing, Dude, there's nothing worse than that when when I catch that coming out of me. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great way to say it. Um, the most annoying sound in the world is whining <laughs> and complaining. Yeah, 
That's, uh, I, I think that here, here's the thing. Um, I would say on this one, the way that we whine and complain is I think sometimes the way our culture does this is to take on a victim mentality mm-hmm. that I think is very dangerous. So again, um, the way we're raising our kids yep. is to say, uh, like Proverbs 19.3 says, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Yes. Okay, your own choices got you into a mess, and yet you go into blame mode, victim yep. mode, and at the top of the ladder is God, right? You, you might blame your boss, you might blame your spouse, you might blame your circumstances, but at the end of it, you start blaming God and raging against Him. Mm-hmm. And I think that the victim mentality, um, and I, I think this quote, um, this guy, Thomas Sowell, he's like an economist from Stanford, mm-hmm. um, old old dude in his 80s probably now, he, he has this quote, he says, um, he says, our culture, we're, we're getting to the point where no one is responsible for what they did but everyone is responsible for what someone else did. Mm. Okay, so here, here's, here's that. Like, imagine, um, you know, Mikey, you, you own a property, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you come to say, say your, your tenant and you say, uh, hey, hey, you, you can't, you know, they're, they're basically vandalizing the house, ruining it, destroying yeah. Yeah. it or whatever, and, and they are, you know, blaming you for something. Well, it's because of you, you did this, or even it's my boss or it's society or whatever, but, but they're not responsible for what they did mm-hmm. in ruining the, your apartment, but somehow everyone else is responsible sure. for what they did to your apartment. That Just that mentality, that's, that's the mentality of, yeah, I'm a victim of this, of this circumstance or this work situation or, you, you know, and I think that's something we work really hard with our kids um, to disciple them to take responsibility. And so part of that, when someone's whining or complaining, that that's essentially what they're doing mm-hmm. is um, they're putting blame on on someone else or uh, taking on kind of that mentality. Totally. Have you ever read um, Animal Farm by Orwell? Oh, yes. Dude, I just read it the other day for the first time. Unbelievable book. Prophetic. Prophetic. And written in like the 40s, I believe. But exactly what you're saying, like, Napoleon is like running this farm to the ground. He's making all these decisions, but yet who's to blame? Snowball. The enemy snowball is always to blame for his mistakes. You know, wow. the other pig who ran away. Wow. It's crazy. For those oh, it's who, been a long time. Yeah. For those who haven't read the book, you're probably like, what the heck's he talking about? But crazy book. Yeah. And then, well, 1984 is the other. I know. I haven't read that oh, one dude. yet, but every time I talk about Animal Farm, somebody's like, you got to read 1984. It, it, it would absolutely mess you up. Yeah. Because it's, it, it is, but it, it is, they're telling the story of what humans do. Yeah. Blame and then, and then grabbing for power, taking control. And pretty soon the, all the animals look like the humans that oh were running the gosh. farm. Dude, at the very end, I was like, I just put the book down. My jaw dropped. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then. It, can I, can I just yeah, riff on this real quick that I think part of this acknowledges like the Christian worldview acknowledges human depravity and that sort of the antidote to whining and complaining is 
is understanding that it's the GK Chesterton thing, you know, the famous, uh-huh. what, you know, the London what's times. Yeah. The ask the question, Hey, everyone write in, answer this question. What's wrong with the world today? GK Chesterton writes in, uh, dear, dear sir, sirs, I am, uh, yours truly, yours truly like GK Chesterton. Okay. You just the acknowledgement that what's broken with the world and the situation is, is me and my sin. And so taking, like responsibility at that level mm-hmm. for for my own. Totally, that's the next so, one I have written down. So what? That was uh, two, two and a half. <laughs> Here's three. My choices matter, and so I must be responsible. I couldn't really think of a good way to say that, but that's the simplest way I can say it. My choices matter, so therefore I must be responsible. Um, kind of the idea of uh, rebranding Jocko Willing's extreme ownership. You know, he's like, if there's basically any problem in your life, uh, anything you don't like, anything you want changed, he's like, that's up to you to own up to that and say, all right, I, I am where I am. You're not beating around the bush. You're not telling yourself lies and doing what needs to get done in order to be where you need to be. Um, I don't know. I think uh, the culture nowadays loves to, like you're saying, play the victim card, uh, tell you that oh, your choices actually don't matter that much, but no, we're saying, I think it's wise, and I think people throughout history would say, your choices absolutely do matter, and so because of that, you need to yeah. watch what you do. It's, I, think, I think there is um, the reality that as, as humans, there is all, there's an interconnectedness to what we're doing. So it's, I think on this point, we have to be careful and acknowledge Yes, your individual choices. Also, we're this we're this community that's bound together, mm-hmm. um, and our, and our cho- choices affect each other. You know, in ways. Um, so, kind of the loving your neighbor as ourselves. So, I don't I don't think it's a like it's a false dichotomy to just only right. focus on right. my individual choices are all that matters because we are all affected and we are this community. Yep. And I think the Christian worldview brings these ideas together, but. But the Jocko Willink point of extreme ownership is is definitely um, a great principle in leadership um, as well. And and if there's a problem in if if I'm you know let's say Veritas Church is falling apart mm-hmm. um, or any organization that I'm leading your D group or your anything that yep. y- you're responsible for, I think the principle that applies to leaders applies to everyone is if things are falling apart and and it's obvious and I'm confronted on it and I say, Mark, what's the problem? If I start listing yeah. like my top 10 things are a bunch, if number one doesn't say Mark right. Aaron, yeah. <laughs> then I don't get it. Right. We have to, as leaders, take responsibility. And that was a powerful moment in that book where Jocko talked about having to take responsibility for friendly fire that totally. got people killed. He has and, like this big meeting and after they went through this whole fiasco of blue on blue, they have friendly fire happening in war. They're over in Afghanistan and uh, he stands in front of all of his troops or his, his company or whatever. Who's responsible for this? And all these guys start raising their hand. I am. I'm responsible. He says, no. Who's responsible for this? So then they're kind of looking around like, wait, does he know who's responsible? Like who's going to own up? These people start owning up. I'm responsible. I'm responsible. The end of it, he just goes, me, I'm, I'm leading this command, you know? And so it comes right back to him and 
he he took ownership and that was kind of the thing that I don't know created the brand that he kind of runs on now but yeah powerful story yeah I think I think that um the choices I make influence outcome I experience I think I think something that that you said I don't know how you just said it there um but but I think um the proverbs are this way like Mm -hmm. generally this is how life works out you know uh generally you you making these choices like the moral fabric is like gravity woven in throughout the world Mm -hmm. like like the laws of god are as real as the laws of physics totally and so part of it is when you make certain choices like jumping off of a tall building like you will break bones when you do that and the same thing is true when it comes to um, breaking the moral laws of the universe. Mm. And so I think in this point, you can transition now into like a conversation about friendship or something like that. Yep. Like things uh, college students should know. I, I, I would say, I would say, um, you know, one of the, some of the choices you make in college. Okay. So practically friendship. So if I'm going to add a number four to, yeah, you know, things every college student should know is that you are the sum of your five closest friends. Yes. You are the sum of your five closest friends. Like take your, 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 think of your five closest friends. I would say that's who you are. Right. I mean, um, and, and it's interesting when I was in yep. youth, youth ministry, um, youth pastor, that was such a great experience for me. That that's a great example of the hard work thing. Mm-hmm. Like when Troy said, Hey, I'm watching my friends like emerge salt company directors and leading these huge ministries. And he's like, Hey Mark, will you be the youth pastor? And it's like nothing in me <laughs> wanted to do it. Yeah, but it's like yes. Uh, what do you say? Get the job, do the job. You get the job, do the job. Yeah, right. And so that's. But here's one of the things you, you hear parents like. You know, Johnny got. You know, my my son. He's caught up in the wrong crowd. He's caught up in the wrong crowd. And I would say no. You know, like every other parent in Johnny's circle mm-hmm. is coming to me saying the exact same thing. Here's what I think. Johnny didn't get caught up in the wrong crowd. He is the wrong crowd. Yep. Like the whole birds of a feather flock together. Yep. And yep. so it, the people that you're with, the people that you attract as friends and the people you're attracted to as friends reflect your own character. And so friendships, I mean, Mikey, how many proverbs oh, are there on friendships? Yeah. You know, Solomon telling his sons, be wise in the, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This, mm-hmm. this idea of who you surround yourself with, I think is so important for college students. And, and if, if you're, the people are, you know, they're saying, hey, let's go to the bar. Yep. And you say yes. Yeah. That's gonna that could affect the trajectory of your life, like yeah. that choice that you made to do. I was gonna say that right there is kind of the uh, mission of our whole freshman ministry. The idea that kind of fuels our freshman ministry is like get as many people as we can on the front end, kind of rescue them from the bars or whatever. Because the first two weeks of a freshman's life are so important because, yeah. like, it's so easy to just. I mean, everybody's new and wandering around looking for friends and either you meet some 
really solid people at a local church or salt company or whatever. And you get plugged in there. You start creating a godly community that can challenge you, hold you accountable, push you, encourage holiness in your life. Or what so many people do is like, oh, the fir- literally the first few people that I met at college end up being their friends for the next four years. Mm. The people on their dorm, their orientation crew. I mean, I saw this when I was in school and I get it. I mean, I, I had those friends too. And the reason I had those friends is because they were just the first people that I met and I ended up spending a lot of time with them. Now they weren't in my like inner circle or anything, but it's just, that's kind of like our strategies, help people find each other (laughs) who want to hold each other accountable. And dude, I mean, in salt, we see this all the time where exactly what you're saying, a group of people will get caught up with each other and say, help like my friends. It's like, no, you're also, you are that friend group too. And it takes being ripped away from that and being placed in a completely other different group of people for a lot of people to Mm -hmm. find like, yeah, I don't know the holiness that they're looking for, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I've seen too with this idea of friendship. I mean, just a simple choice of like, like I said, going to the bar, going with this group of friends. And I've seen a number of situations over the last 43 years of my life where uh, kids get in a car with somebody and all of a sudden you are at the mercy of that driver and mm. cars that all of a sudden it's a, turns into a joy ride on some back roads and a car flips over. And mm-hmm. I mean, we talk to our kids about like, even like who you get in the car with all of a sudden you are now, you know, at the mercy of that yeah. situation and, and you're out of that control. And so uh, do you trust the people you're with? Are they going to make you a better person? And, you know, I just think Mikey about the guys standing up at your wedding, mm-hmm. like, man, that was, that was iron sharpening iron, yeah, man. Sure. You had some, some dudes there that, that have shaped uh, the man that you are. Mm-hmm. And, and they all those people, like they make you a better person. And I think, um, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. You got any more on friendship? <clears throat> well, I guess it gets into, I, I don't know, do we talk about like discipleship, like who you're following and social media? I mean, sure maybe that's kind of in that category of like who you're following, yep. who you're surrounding yourself with. Cause I think your friends are also the, the people you're, you know, following on Snapchat or Instagram. Um, those are, even though they're not your intimate friends, they are people who are shaping who you are. Mm-hmm. And even the way we say like, do you follow so-and-so on Instagram or do you follow this person on even that wording? Like f- who are you following? Right. Right. Um, and I think that, that if the people you're following are shallow, vain people, then yeah, you could almost say you are a sum of the 50 people you follow closely on social media. And I think this would be a great time to go through and say like, does this person make me a better person? Mm -hmm. And if not, mute, block, whatever, their voice and influence in your life. And I was talking to my wife, Letha, about this and she was just saying, She's like, I've been discipled by social media. Totally. I was like, oh, shoot. But she's like, but for the good. Like, in <laughs> ways like, oh, like shoot. yeah, no, you can, there are people that yeah. can influence you in a good way. And one of the, so one of the ways practically yeah. for me is like going into marriage, I was like, I don't know, we might have one or two kids. Yeah. 
You know? Seriously, you had like no idea that. Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> and I just had this idea like, yeah, it's about my wife and I, we're going to be married for a while mm-hmm. and then we'll have kids and maybe a couple and I, I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I think that the we started, um, I guess the people that, that my wife followed or I on social media, like help, like help me rethink this. And all of a sudden I mm. started my worldview change. Like, wait, maybe the purpose of my marriage is not about me. Wow. Like maybe even my anatomy and my physiology, uh-huh. like we have these body parts for a reason. And part of God's purpose for us on this earth is to multiply. Yep. And, and it, it became what was not normal in, in our just own experience and of the world, all of a sudden we were influenced by people and, and some people from church too, like seeing yep, yep. Uh, these families and, and like, wow, this is actually part of our purpose. So anyway, I think that's, those that's are awesome. ways that friendships, even on social media, who you follow does shape you. For sure. I didn't even think of one for social media or like phone use, but I should have. But I feel like I nailed enough on this podcast that people know I'm not a huge fan of it. You're not. How's your grayscale working out for you? Good. Dude, my phone's basically worthless. Like it, I, I, do, I don't do any, especially with the new update. You got the new update on it, uh, iOS 14 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like here, look, here's my, uh, no notifications Yep. ever, black and white. Just a black and white picture of... Of your wife and your of dog. Jenny and my dog, Moose. And then this is my, that's it, my home screen. I like, love it. Uh, weather app, clock app, notes. It's awesome. Texting. Dude, go get it, Mikey. Simplify your life on your phone, folks. There's another one. Um, You got more on friendship? And well, it kind of goes into also like dating, right? Yeah. Dating on this one because, uh, yep. Here's friendship. one. Here's one for me. Mm-hmm that I, I see big time in college students. If you're dating, that means you're dating and you're not married. So this can mean a couple different things. If you're dating, that means you're dating. You're not married. One, it obviously means physically. If you're dating somebody, you don't get the privileges that a married couple gets. So don't act like it. But here's what I mean even more than that because that one's kind of obvious. It's easy for college students especially in a Christian circle like the one that we run in, uh, to date each other and then just like act like married couples with their time, with the way they view their friends. I know I did this, so you know, if I could say this to myself when I was dating Jenny, it's like, you don't have to break up with all of your friends in order to date a girl. Hmm. Because, dude, you're never gonna get that time back where you can just hang out with the boys go lead a little small group over breakfast anytime you want. And you know, when you're dating somebody, you're like, well, I don't want that anymore. I want to be married now. Don't, don't spurn the time that you have as a single guy or girl. Um, hmm. Basically, stop taking yourself so seriously in your dating relationships. You don't have to, you don't have to be on a block schedule where you schedule in your time and when you're going to hang out and, you don't have to spend a thousand dollars on Christmas. You know, it's like if you're dating somebody, act like you're dating them. Right. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good insight. Um, I lo- love how you said that. You shouldn't have to break up with all your friends to date this person. Yeah. 
Um, so, so there's healthy boundaries. And I think it, it, because I think there's a risk in a relationship where it becomes the new, like, uh, like, yeah, I go to the store. My kid wants this toy. They get it. And they're like, spend nonstop time with it. And then they're bored of it. Like you, you people, I mean, those, those times like giving, respecting the process, giving the relationship time and space and not just like that because it can quickly become idolatry that person. Yeah. And so creating those boundaries, I think my advice on dating is, is maybe a little, um, maybe it's, it's tied into this, but it's like, don't focus on getting the right person, focus on becoming the right kind of person. Yep. So, you know what I mean? Like everyone's wants like, oh yeah, the problem is there's no, you know, no (laughs) attractive men or girls in this ministry or in this, like the problem is there's not the right person. They're not out there and I can't find them here. It's no, no, no. That's, that's the wrong focus. The wrong, the right focus is like becoming that kind of person and you'll attract the right kind of person. And so I think about this, like another way I would say this is, is don't get on interstate 80 going east if you don't want to go to Chicago. Yeah. So I see this a lot where it's like people get into a relationship because they're really, they really like this person. Mm-hmm. They're infatuated with them. They're attracted to them. But it's actually not the destination that they want to go toward. Like you don't actually want that guy or that girl, that woman like, like, partnering with you to raise your kids because they're like, man, I I hope they don't have that behavior, but I can, but I can change them. So you get on interstate and you start heading that way, hoping that the destination will change. And all of a sudden Chicago is going to turn into California and it's not, you're headed toward this way. You're not going to change this person. And, and so I, I think that's a, what you want is, um, you know, don't get started on this path with a person that clearly is not, you know, the totally. mature, godly kind of person that you want to be with. Yeah, it's not helpful to think <laughs> like, oh, well, he'll change when we're married. Oh, yeah, he has this problem now, but that'll that'll probably change in the future. No, no, no. It's like, when you're dating, they're, they're probably putting on their best face now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they're probably at their most patient. I mean, they'll be more patient down the road, but like, you're doing things now that bother them that they're not showing yet because mm-hmm. they're still infatuated with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I don't know. It's just, it's uh, not helpful, not realistic to think, oh yeah, well, this thing bothers me. It'll just go away once I talk to them about it enough. Maybe, but I wouldn't bank on it. You know what I mean? Wow. And uh, kind of what you said, mm-hmm. Andy Stanley says, I know, you know, think what you want about him. I don't really know too much about him, but he said this thing like, are you pretty much what you said? Are you becoming the type of person that the person you want to be with wants to be with? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. Holding yourself to that standard, thinking about that. I read that in a book once thought it was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the, the person, you know, what you want is like your Superman or superwoman flying toward the will of God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Mm -hmm. And you're just solely focused on that. And you kind of look over and just like, see who's going the same place. Like, Hey, you're going there too. Mm-hmm. Let's go together. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I think when your focus is Christ, uh, like Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and the rest of stuff of life will fall into place. Yep. Number six, you got another one, another dating one. Well, uh, I, 
I don't know about dating. I would say um, on this one, you know, I love to rant on Proverbs 3. And yeah. my this the whole don't be amazing, just be faithful. Oh, yeah. Uh, Proverbs 3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, that's just a life, this idea of love and faithfulness. And, you know, everybody wants to change the world. Everyone wants to be amazing. Everyone wants to be unique and all those things. But I just think that amazing is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. It's... um it's the, it's this idea of just showing up, you know, faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is just showing up. Like you just keep coming. Like when everyone else has dropped off leadership, you're still there. Mm -hmm. When everyone else has stopped coming to Wednesday prayer, you're still there. When everyone else has stopped coming to church because of a pandemic, you're still there. When everyone like, you, you know what I mean? You are the person that keeps coming. And that's what my dad said. You know, 99.9% of ministry is just showing up. Yeah. Like my dad's been thrust into leadership and all yeah. these different, whether well, mega church or church plants that, that blow up. And it, it's, he would say, it's not because I'm great and compelling and all this super gifted. It's just that they look around and like, well, Jack's still here, yeah. you know? And so I think you just want to be that person who just keeps showing up. Totally. I have students ask me about this all the time because, you know, you say this all the time. You said it on the, on uh, the episode we did with you. Uh, and they're like, what does faithfulness look like? So besides just showing up, is there anything else you would say to kind of clear the air on like, what does faithfulness actually look like? Because, yep. I would say when I think about this too, I think the most important things about you are the million small decisions no one will ever see. Can you say that again? So, yeah, the most important things about you are the million small decisions no one will ever see. It's your prayer life. That's great. They will never see you praying. The time that you will spend reading the word, Mm. memorizing the scripture, the books you read, the stuff you scroll through on your phone, no one's ever going to know about those things, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that little choice you made to not go out with that group of friends, like that, just those little choices you make. And, and so what you find out is like extraordinary faithfulness just comes down to everyday like micro habits. The nitty-gritty, yeah. Things that you do. It's, you know, and mm-hmm. so here's an example, Mikey. Yeah. Um, I read the Bible every morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just would say if faithfulness looks like waking up for me, I say the Lord's prayer. I open my Bible and I read. Mm-hmm. And, um, we do this, uh, time with God together with my dad, my, my kids, uh, my wife and some others are on it. And so you can, uh, through the Bible app, you can do like a journal where all of you see what each other writes for that day. It's really mm-hmm. cool. It's good accountability. I'm doing it with my men's group as well. Nice. And it's it's uh, just a, you, if you do the uh, discipleship journal, reading plan or whatever, it's just like one chapter a day. You can do it with your friends. It's great. Maybe we can put in the show notes or something, yeah. but uh, do it with your friends. But here's, here's an example of what, when 
faithfulness just showing up becomes extraordinary. We were, um, I just got back, uh, from my uncle's funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was in Minneapolis for the last few days and Tuesday morning, uh, the Bible reading for that day. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to read you what my, uh, what my dad wrote on the journal. Okay. Just, just extraordinary stuff. Um, he, he wrote, um, on his journal that, uh, all about, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, sorry, it's, it's taking me a second. Um, he, he talked about, we, we read the book of Mark and, and Mark 14, and it's all about how Jesus was led, uh, to the cross and, Mm -hmm. and all these things that, that happened. And so uh, I'm just going to read, read you his, uh, it's taking a second. Here we go. All right, Mark 14. Here it is. He said, Dad said in, in the journal for that day, Jesus knows. He knew there would be a room for his last supper. He knew one of his men would betray him. He knew he would have to be abused and killed. He knew his best friend Peter would deny him. He knows all about me too. He did it all in God's rescue mission to save us. He still today knows and is preparing for our future. And this is like the day after his brother died, he wrote this and mm. right before the funeral. And my comment was, dad, that's such a good word. All I can say is amen to that. Today's big idea is Jesus knows, okay? Mm-hmm. Now he goes up to tell my mom what he had just read and just felt like God spoke to him, mm-hmm. those words. And he goes up and my mom says, oh wow, Jack, you'll never believe what I wrote in my journal. The title of her journal is Jesus Knows. No way. Revelation 3, I know what you do. I have put an open door before you, which no one else can see, can close. And she journals through and she goes on, Jesus knows what little strength I have. Lord, I'm afraid of the task today. But, and she goes on, that her title was Jesus Knows. It's like they were same writing thing. the same journal. Yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, my dad says, he says, you know, sometimes reading the word, it's like eating shredded wheat with no <laughs> sugar, no milk. Like, yeah. it's dry, but nourishing. Uh-huh. And when you, when you have 50, 60, 70 years of just every day being in the word, yep. and then you have these kind of moments where it's like God just opens a heaven and speaks to your heart. And so I think that's where when we talk about faithfulness, mm-hmm. um, that's a very practical example of what faithfulness looks like. That's amazing. Yeah, it, when you were talking about the, it's dry but nourishing, it reminded me of um, a helpful thought about preaching because we're always like, you know, we put so much time into these sermons and stuff and people don't really remember anything mm-hmm. you say. They maybe remember a story or something. Uh, but Ryan one time was like, dude, maybe it was you. I don't know. Maybe he got it from you. He's like, you also probably don't remember what you had for dinner last week either, but you needed that meal. Mm. Like you don't understand. Wow. Sure. You don't remember exactly the three points that Ryan gave last week in the sermon, but you know, you needed it. And like, sure. You remember, you remember some memorable meals, it doesn't matter that you didn't remember what you ate. Right. It nourished you. Right. It, it, you needed it. I think that's, dude, that is so, that's a great insight. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was not, not for me, but it, it's, 
It's so good. I think I think this this point of just being in the word. I would say to I would say to students on this point of faithfulness, kind of moving on to the next yep. one is is about uh, how the word of God is shaping you. So I, I would say, you know, don't ask yourself what's my opinion on mm-hmm. blank. Open the Bible and just read it and memorize it and choose to believe God's opinion on that topic. What, whatever the topic is, what is God's word? That's the only foundation that you can stand on. And so it's like, like in a small group, you know, you, you picture like people sitting in, in chairs in a circle, like God's word, if, if you have an empty chair and put a Bible on it, mm-hmm. that's not a picture of where God's word should be in your small group. Like, God's, the Bible's on a chair. We're going to go around and share opinions. Sure. And what is the Bible's opinion uh-huh. on this? Like, no, the word of God is over the top of the group. And yep. it, it's, you know, or it's the foundation you're standing on, however you want to look at it. It's not just another opinion in your life. It's the basis of how you, it shapes how you think. And like, like John Bunyan, they said, you know, when you, you prick him, his blood was bibline. Mm-hmm. It's like you cut the guy and he bleeds Bible. Right. You know, that's kind of what you want is to, is to have a, a God-entranced worldview that is so shaped by God's word. And so what that means for a college student is memorize the Bible, mm-hmm. like memorize verses, memorize chapters, memorize books of the Bible. Like yep. right now I'm working on First Peter and I'm only through verse one, but it's like my home screen, you know, I'm trying to, it, uh-huh. the older you get, the harder it is to memorize. Oh yeah. So that's especially why I'm saying, like, and they say like what you do from age 13 to, I don't know, in your, your teens or early 20s, it becomes like grooves in a record where you never lose it. And so I would just encourage college students to, to just like let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, and what that means is memorize it, yep. have it with you at all times. Yeah, John Piper said like, if he's gonna have one regret at the end of his life, he thinks it will be that he didn't memorize more scripture. Hmm. And it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's not hard, um, but it just takes time. I mean, it takes literally the the way you memorize a book of the Bible is by memorizing one verse at a time, like yeah, one day at a time. Yeah, you know, same way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. It's like, yep, it it yeah. takes a long time. It's hard work, but then when you finally done it, like. It's amazing. I, me- I memorized Colossians once a couple of years ago. I think it was my 2018 New Year's resolution. And uh finally got to the end, you know, and I'm saying like the final greetings that, yeah. that Paul's yeah. right. And it's, it's like, I can't believe I actually memorized that whole book. I'd have to refresh on it now, yeah. but you know, it was awesome. And also what you're saying about letting the Bible inform the way you think instead of like your own opinions about it. I remember one time I was in Michigan I wanted to get this tattoo. I didn't have as many as I have now. And um, my parents were still pretty involved like in my finances. They were helping me out and stuff. And so I was like really big on making sure they approved of Mm -hmm. my actions and stuff. So one time I called them and I was like, mom, can I get this tattoo? She's like, no, I don't don't want you to get that. I just, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I thought she was being dumb, you know, and I'm like, come on, mom, you don't, you don't understand. Well, then there's this old pastor, Pastor Charles, don't know his last name, remember his face vividly. Uh, this was at the camp that I was working uh-huh. at. I went up to him. I was like, hey, Pastor Charles, 
you know, my mom doesn't want me to get this tattoo, but I want it. What do you think? And he goes, well, what does the Bible say? And I was like, I started saying, well, you know, I think, I don't know. He goes, I don't care what you think. He's like, what does the Bible say? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Can you tell me? He goes, he goes, honor your father and your mother. He's like, you know what else it says after that? I was like, no, he's like, so that it may go well with you in the land. This is the first command with a promise attached to it, you know? And he goes, so let me ask you, when do you want the, the blessing to end for you? And I was like, uh, I mean, I guess I don't want the blessing to end, but you know, I was out of the house. And so that's, right. that was my thing. It's like, I'm out of the house. What do, what do my parents have? Yeah. And he goes, honor your father and your mother so they may go well with you in the land. He's like, you know, if you want to stop that blessing, then just go ahead and get the tattoo. I guess I was like, all right. So oh man, I'll never forget though. He just kind of stopped me as I start answering his question. No, no, no I don't care what you think. What's the Bible yeah. have to say? And here's here's what I love about this Proverbs 19. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So there's a difference between head knowledge and wisdom. The scriptures, mm-hmm. you don't have to be smart to be what? Like the scriptures make you wise. The scriptures are like, it's not about even getting into like, in-depth theology and having these sure. well-formed opinions on, you know, Calvinism and, mm-hmm. and all these things and dispensationalism and whatever, you know, uh, things, things you're reading in theology books. It's, it's like, like my dad would say, you know, better to be blessed than to be smart. And hmm. the, the idea that sometimes in college people can get into head knowledge and like the point of memorizing is not just to have like, more stuff to be able to mm-hmm. like beat people over the head with. It's, it's the point is, is the practical wisdom too, that comes from that. And, um, you know, so, so as the scripture gets in you, it, it shapes your thinking and it comes out in your actions. It's not just head knowledge. And I think that's where sometimes college students can, can love to acquire more head knowledge and theology and philosophy, mm-hmm. but, but really it's in, uh, how the law of the Lord makes wise the simple. Mm-hmm. That's what the scripture does. So you don't have to like outsmart your neighbor. You just have to just know the word. And I think Pastor Tom Nesbitt struggled with reading mm. um, as a kid. And he basically learned to read by reading the Bible. And I think, and you see how it, wow. it has shaped him. And so, um, yeah, that's just a, I, I was kind of processing this with, with Letha today. And mm-hmm. she was talking about, her, her passion is like practical wisdom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she doesn't want to <laughs> sit around and have like theological debates. Yeah. She's like, okay, fine, but how does this matter for right, my life? Right. And she, yeah, when you preach, Mikey, it's it's awesome. <laughs> she loves it. Like just, just cut to the chase, right. right? Just the facts, you know? And and I think that uh, just that wisdom is the ability to live skillfully. And, and I think, um, yeah, Mikey, I think you really model this well. And so I, I, I wonder for someone who's like, I don't, I don't get a lot out of the word or I don't know how to read it or like, what's your advice to someone who maybe is intimidated by the scriptures and, and wants to, they may feel like, ah, it's overwhelming. I don't know where to start. I don't know. Like what, give some practical wisdom on oh, how man. to, how to do this. Yeah. Well, one thing that always surprises me is how few people have actually read the whole Bible. Like, hmm. 
some people might hear me say that and think, how can he say that? It's such a big book. Where do I start? Everything you're saying. But I'm thinking like, yeah, if you just chip away at this two chapters a day, something you could, you can easily finish in a year, you know, if you do this every day. And I don't know, I have a hard time thinking like, how can you have such a formed opinion on, well, the Bible's too confusing or I don't understand it or I don't really know what it's saying. If you haven't even, if you haven't even given the whole thing a shot yet, you know what I mean? Wow. Like there's different, there's different things you'll resonate with. Like I'm actually made my own Bible plan because I got kind of sick of, there were things about other ones I didn't like. So anyways, I made my own and it's the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice in a year, but on a six day a week basis instead of Mm -hmm. seven. Because another thing people have a hard time with is, well, if I miss a day on my Bible plan, I feel bad and I get behind and then I just give up. That's my, all right, let's build in one buffer day in there so that give yourself some grace. Um, But my advice would be get on a Bible plan. I don't feel, I don't feel like hesitant saying that. A lot of people think, I don't want to be a legalist. That's not, it's not legalism if you're trying to read the Bible and Mm -hmm. you're sticking to a plan. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and don't just go straight through the Bible. Bounce around. Like, find a plan that balances the Old Testament and New Testament. Because if you are just reading straight through, once you get to Leviticus and Numbers, you're probably going to burn out because that's tough stuff. That's like really chewing the Wheaties with no sugar on them or anything. So that's why I always like to, to pair it with a gospel when I'm reading Numbers or something like that. Um, mm. It's... So... My my mom uses this method called SIP. It's an acrostic. Sure. Just S-I-P. And just like to daily SIP the word. Yeah. And so it basically, it, it just has, because I think it's important to, if you don't understand the Bible, how important it is to journal and write down your mm-hmm. thoughts to reflect on it. Um, so the SIP thing is you start with a t- uh, the, you know, you today's date and the, the scripture that you read. So the S is scripture. Yep. So write down the scripture you read. Mm-hmm. Write down a verse that stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. So you, you write it out. Um, and then you, the, the I is, I think, interpretation. Like, mm-hmm. what is this, what does a scripture mean? What do mm-hmm. I, what I think this means? Um, and, and, and then the P is a prayer, you know? Yep. So you, you write out a prayer based on that. God, help me, help me, you know, in this. And so, and then you put a title at the top, you know, um, and that was her title, Jesus Knows. Nice. Like, if you can kind of have a big idea for the day to just say, mm-hmm. you know, to reflect on. And a lot of times, where I find God speaking to me is not in the moment as much as later on. Sure. Like, all of a sudden, later in the day, something will come up. I'm like, wait, I... I read that or I wrote that down or, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just think um, if you're new to the scripture, um, yeah, you can, you can start with that. Just maybe uh, uh, y- you could start at Genesis and just yeah, okay, Genesis sure. one today, or um, maybe you want to start with a book like Mark. That's what I'm doing with our men's group. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just one chapter a day, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, thing I think is helpful too. I mentioned this at the beginning of my sermon the other day is that the Bible is not written to you. It's written for you, for sure. The word of God is for you, but yeah, th- there's specific. There's a specific audience in mind as Peter is writing First Peter, 
and as Paul's writing Romans, he has a very specific people in mind. So if you're like, oh, this is confusing. Yeah, it'd be like picking up somebody else's phone transcript and trying to learn from it. You know, it's like, and, and them sharing that with you. Well, yeah, that wasn't necessarily to you specifically. So you have to interpret it and take it over, you know, what we call the, the what do we call it? The uh, contextualizing bridge of Jesus, what Jesus did. So how does it apply to you, even though it's not written to you necessarily? Right, right. But I don't know. I think I go back to the uh, thing about eating too. Like you, you need this every day if you're going to live as a Christian. Yep. You might not remember, and that's okay. Nobody's yep. going to pop quiz you. Hey, what'd you read today? You just need to get in the word. And Yep. Yeah. Moving on, I'm just thinking about some of the things we talked about before, yep. about uh, things every college student should know, something about money. Let's do it. Money. I mean, oh my goodness. Number eight. What is yours? Debt is dumb. Debt is dumb. Uh, here, let me pull up Proverbs twenty-two seven. It says the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Hmm. And um, you, I don't know, man. The culture today, the way college is set up, it's crippling to a lot of people that. Student loans are going to be hanging over people for a long time. But I tell you what, once you get rid of those, you actually feel the freedom. You don't really realize you're a slave because it's just normal. You're like paying off your student loans, whatever. But once you're debt free, you realize I never want to go back to that because what the Bible says is true. The borrower is slave to the lender. And uh, it's so true. This, okay, one of the number five on micro sweat pledge is I deplore debt and do all I can to avoid it. Yeah. I would rather live in a tent and eat beans <laughs> than borrow money to pay for a lifestyle I can't afford. Let me tell you this, Mikey. Nice. I'm going to give you some, just my life. Yep. I have never made very much money. Mm-hmm. But here's what's true. Like we scraped to get, I mean, from the time I was in high school, started saving up money, put it, started a little money market account, you know, it, few thousand dollars just sa- saving all the money I could yeah. and um, when I'd get it from my little lawn mowing you know whatever and that money all of a sudden became like ten thousand dollars became the down payment on our first house mm-hmm. um, you know so we got married we got you know my wife and I we don't you know we had worked she had worked through college trying to pay out, you know we so we thankfully didn't have debt and mm-hmm. and that's that's crazy like even being so careful about school debt and not taking out debt if you're if you know finding out obviously if you're a doctor and you're going to be making you know a lot of money and you're mm-hmm. going to be able to pay it off in a couple of years or whatever then that's one thing but just just avoiding debt i think about cars people yeah. uh, my letha and i have saved probably into hundreds of thousands of dollars on we have never had a car payment or yep that kind of stuff like Buying a used car and just driving the thing to the ground. To the ground, baby. That's oh my I'm word! Doing, yeah. If if you have a car payment, um, I I don't. Know, I'm, I'm sorry sure, for you. <laughs> I, yeah, I I think, um, I don't. I I would just say credit card debt, swiping with a card. I mean, you. 
we're having a hard time putting this into words because it seems so simple. It's like, if you don't have money, don't buy things. Don't spend money you don't have. Live below your means if you want to be wealthy. Um, it's a, a, and, and this is the thing. <laughs> like, and I think this is where, as a Christian, the discipline of tithing. Mm-hmm. There are so few people that tithe. And, and I, in the early days of Veritas, I knew how much people gave. Like that was just something I, I saw that and I mm-hmm. thought I had gotten the advice from another leader like, hey, you're going to have people come to your church. It might be nice to know. They're going to say with their words, hey, we're all in. Sure. And then you'll look at what they give and they don't give anything. Yep. And so it might be good to just know that from elders, staff, leaders. And, you know, I, yeah, I had to talk to uh, leaders in the church that, yep. that didn't give anything. Um, I stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. It was too discouraging. It was too, uh, and and which what you learn is people don't tithe. And and my advice, things a college student should know is honor the Lord with your first fruits. That's in the Proverbs, Proverbs three, yep. uh, and and with the first parts of your wealth. And so when you get for for me, what Leith and I do, it's it's off our gross income. So all the money we take in, mm-hmm. we tithe off that money. Um, it's before taxes, before the government gets anything. Yep. Dude, we take 10% all the time. We give it to our local church. Um, that habit, and then we learn to live off of 90%. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that discipline, everything else kind of falls into place from there, right? Right. If you can do that, if you can give away 10% of your gross income, which is a lot different than your net income. Let's be real. The government takes a lot of money. You know what I mean? Right. And so, if you can do that, then, yeah, you can be disciplined with the rest of your finances. Um, when, when you say that, I always think about Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. It's a very helpful thing to think about. They are the number five most profitable fast food chain in the world. And they only operate six days a week. What? Isn't that crazy? Like No way. I'm sure they could get up there, maybe even be number one if they added a whole nother, what is that, 13% or whatever, six out of seven. If you add a whole nother day, they could be making a lot more money, but they're not. And their employees are the happiest employees because of it. Okay, l- let me you talk about I mean? another thing related to money. Yeah. Okay, obviously debt is dumb. Yep. Don't buy a new car that you can't, you, you know, mm-hmm. car payments, all that, just all those things like eliminate debt. But here's what I'd say on the, on the other side of that, don't just like, don't do this. Here's what you should do. And this is, I think, one of the most important principles for any college related to money. Understand compound interest. Mm. Understand, okay, do yourself a favor and get on Google and just type in compound interest calculator. Yep. And type it in. So yesterday, exact conversation with someone. A person needs a car and they had $14,000 in an investment account. And the question was, should I take that money, someone in their 30s, mm-hmm. should we take that $14,000 out and buy a car because our current car is dying. It's it's going dead. We need a car. We need money. Should we take the $14,000 out of the 
investment account. What do you say? No. No. Here's why. Boom. Went to the compound interest calculator. Yep. Typed in $14,000 times how many years? Okay. Let's just, just for fun, see what that's worth in, you know, when you're 70 years old, next thing you know, $100,000, you know, that $14,000 is $100,000. And so, uh, that that car that you buy new in, in 40, 50 years is going to go to the scrap heap and scrap pile. Yep. Uh, so the idea of compound interest, that's how to play the game of, it's like, it's, you know, it's a monopoly game, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and you're just learning how to uh, make investments and um, yeah, depreciating assets, cars, fast food, all that waste. There's people. a book called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Great book, all about not only the not only compounding interest with money, but just with the little habits in your life. Like he's like, dude, if you do if you do ten push ups a day, and every month you add one push up to that, so by month two you're doing eleven push ups, month three, twelve, whatever. The amount of push ups you will have done by the end of the year is an insane amount that you never could have imagined yourself hitting. But if you do it, you know, every day small increments. You'd be blown away. Do this. I mean, well, Proverbs thirteen eleven, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I was saying about our choices, like we've never made a lot of money. We live in a great house. Uh, one of the things, yeah, we always had renters, and mm-hmm. that was a part because we <laughs> we were in ministry. I like think you said detailing cars, and yeah. my wife's you know, uh, a CNA and then a nurse. And we just never made a lot of money, but we, we just had to have people live in our basement to help with a mortgage. And next thing you know, uh, we sold that house, built a house and, and, you know, in, in the house we're in right now. And I think that, um, yeah, that principle of, uh, gathering money little by little, mm-hmm. making it grow. Here's number 10 has to do with money as well. Something you always say. Contentment is wanting the things you already have. Oh. You want to be good with money? Here's a simple way. Be content with the things that you have. And uh, here, let me Dude, you know what I'm seeing this? Online shopping. Oh, oh my word. Dude, going on to Amazon, my kids, I mean, they can just... <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. First Timothy 6, starting at 6, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into a temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's a good word. You don't want to be pierced with many griefs. You don't want to wander away from the faith. Dude, you go to the mall, you see all the stuff that you, I mean, shopping, gosh, you see all this, all the stuff you don't need. Um, but I think this idea of want, contentment is wanting what you already have. So look at all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Go into the store and just like think about, meditate on how much more you want the shirt you're already wearing than the one that's on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Walk through and just like seeing shoes and like, Dude, why would I want those shoes? Because I want the shoes that I have. Um, you know, I think that minimalism is kind of a, a movement today. There's a yeah. um, 
I should, yeah, figure out how to um, help you connect with my friend Joshua Becker. He writes books on this and it's kind of a become a well-known author on this, but nice. he talks about how um, he says, I've never met anyone that says they love money, but everybody, they say, I don't love money. I just want more of it. Mm. Right. And that same principle of like, nobody thinks they're materialistic. They just want more stuff. Sure. Right. And so I think this, this principle is huge of like wanting the car that you have that, you know, the windows don't work and uh, that yep. no AC and stuff like that. Like just learning to be content with what you have and dude. And if anyone needs a lesson in contentment, uh, uh, maybe you should ask Jeff Dodge if you can go to Zambia with him. Yeah. Cause that will, absolutely wreck you and change your whole perspective on stuff. Hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, that was something contentment. you were thinking about a lot when you came back from Zambia. Is it still popping your mind when you, Oh my word. It? We, Mikey, we are in the Kabanza Valley in Zambia, some of the remotest parts of the earth. Mm-hmm. And we are sitting around a picnic table, eating a rice, kind of a, minute rice meal that we made um and it, it's not a good meal um but we we made it we're just kind of eating it and all of these villagers who some of them with bloated stomachs starving are watching us eat and it was the most humbling mm. thing you could ever do and realizing like these kids are wearing shirts that have like maybe like a, a an american you know, all of a sudden someone will have a, a random like mid-American energy t-shirt and you're like, what? <laughs> How'd you get that? You know how they get it? The, all the crap from our Goodwill stores that don't sell get like bailed into like hay bales. Mm. They just like bail the clothes in these massive uh, clothing bales, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever they're called, and just ship them over there. And that's that's what they're wearing. Wow. And it's, and so anyway, just to say, um, learning to be content with, with what you have. I mean, in America, it's, it's, yeah, we are, we are materialistic. We want more stuff. Um, so this is good. Anything else on money? If not, I got something I want to go to. Yeah. Speaking of Zambia, uh, this one might be a little touchy, but, uh, number 11, Safety is not the highest priority in life. Something college students need to know. Mm. Safety is actually not the highest priority in life. Like we don't actually think like that. You know, people always, you, you hear all the time. Where are you going? What are you doing this weekend? Oh, going to like, all right, stay safe. Have fun. People think that they value safety a lot more than they actually do. I think, well, some mm. people. Can you tell your story? Well, about- I, I think I think that um, when when someone says um, safety first, yeah. you know, I, I don't I know what they mean by that. Yeah. Um, but as a worldview, um, if we really believe that, we wouldn't have anyone in the military. We wouldn't have any buildings because <laughs> you know how dangerous it is to uh, put up steel beams and run cranes and I mean these things like uh, we. Do a roof. I almost fell off the roof a couple times. Oh, I was like... Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. We would not have any roofs. <laughs> uh, there's things that need to be done that are dangerous. And so, so for example, um, my son started a lawnmowing business when he was eight years old. And, and we, he had this zero-turn lawnmower, which 
they're safe, right? They kind of, if you're on a hill, they'll kind of fall down. Mm-hmm. You just, whatever, uh, the way that uh, the front wheels will will pull it down the hill. But but anyway, we're he's mowing these lawns and, and the, you know, his old, na- this one of the neighbor ladies comes out and starts like yelling at me, like, what are you doing letting your son, you know, I have a grandson who's his age and my little Zachary, he would never be old enough to do that. And, and I'm like, Zachary's playing video games um, on his phone right now. And my son's mowing your neighbor's yard, making money, making money and learning about this. Um, You know, we're not training our kids um, to be safe. We're training them to be courageous Mm -hmm. and courage like if you have to put yourself in front to save somebody, um, if you're saying safety first will never cause you to, you know, jump in the water and rescue someone, uh, you know, it's it's courage first. And obviously, safety is a factor in, in you know, yeah, right. don't We're be not dumb. Don't, safety doesn't matter. Right, don't put a ladder on top of a swivel chair or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. and that that's, that's dumb. But what we're talking about is I think, um, this idea of being courageous and and fearless, and that's what you know we that's how we protect people. That's how we get things done. Um, I would just say uh, so with that example of us, my son on the lawnmower. We we also have kind of observed this from especially families that are into like farming or mm-hmm. um, because a farm is a very dangerous place. Yeah, you know, I almost. Uh, my fingernail here is is like not normal because uh-huh. I got it smashed in a, a hay baler when I was a kid, uh, helping grandpa, you know, bale hay. Right. Like it's dangerous. And, um, but we had a, a family in Veritas that uh, started attending and, and they emailed Austin Clave, our youth pastor. And they're like, hey, our, our son won't be youth group tonight and blah, blah, blah. So not a big deal, but he cut off half of his finger and so he's gonna it's gonna be a few days and it just really impressed Austin to like whoa yeah this big family because a lot of times big families you realize accidents are gonna happen and like even the thing of like having children is dangerous right it's it could be dangerous for a woman to have a kid it could be you know dangerous for the kids to experience this world Mm -hmm. and uh, the solution is not well therefore let's not have children right because it's dangerous um, there are things that that are worth doing that involve some level of risk, and so that's why I would just say I I do agree with this point um, that even us where you bridged from Africa was yeah. um, if we would have said safety first we never would have gone into the Kamanza Valley because right. it was incredibly dangerous and yet um, it was it, worth it. It was worth it. And right? nobody would say it wasn't worth it just because it was dangerous. Right. Yeah, that's good. You got another one? If not, I do. Go for it. Number 11. Something you you also say, your dad says, if you want it there, you've got to bring it. Yeah, if you want it to be there, you got to bring it. Oh, man. That's so good. I see this all the time with college students, specifically leading their C groups and stuff. Um, Yeah, my group, you know, it's got some weird guys in it or nobody talks that much or nobody's confessing their sin. I'm like, well... Are you doing that first? Are you bringing the energy first? You want it there. You got to bring it. I love, Ryan loves this. He always says it to me. If we have to do something we're not super excited about or whatever, he'll just look at me. Dude, we want it there, don't we? I'm like, yeah. He's like, then let's bring it. And then we just fire each other up. Oh, that is awesome. I mean, this principle can apply to so much. 
Oh, it absolutely. It's like, yeah, you come into a, a small group and yeah, if you want there to be love yeah, yeah, and friendship, you got to bring the love into the group. You want there to be, ah, nobody, nobody asked me how I was doing. So, so you want to bring the thoughtfulness? <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. you got to, if you want the thoughtfulness and caring to be there, you got to bring that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, every situation's a potluck. You yep. know, you're, yeah. you're bringing in the food and if you want the, yeah, if you want there to be good food, you got to bring the good yeah. food to the table. And as people do that, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like, uh, have you ever seen that video of the Ted talk of where the guy, uh, it's called like how to start a movement or something like this. Hmm. No. Um, I've watched it a few times. It's, it's this dude, he's like at a park and the, he, he's, he's breaking down like how, like flash mob type stuff ends up going. And and so he's like, there's this one dude dancing crazy uh, by himself, but that guy's not actually the leader of the movement. It's the first lone. So there's the lone nut who's dancing by himself, but it takes one crazy follower to really start a movement. And it's like, actually the person who starts this movement is not the guy, the first guy doing it. It's the first follower. The first wow. follower, because then everybody else starts coming. And it's like, you know, that first follower's like, yeah, I, I want that. He wants it there. He brings it. And then the whole movement follows. You should look it up. It's crazy. We used it as like a staff training thing up at that camp that I was talking oh, wow. about, about embracing people and like somebody trying to do something, helping them out, starting this movement. Whatever. Wow, dude, that's, that's a good, that's a good insight. I would, um, I would say if, if you're looking for a number, I don't know what number on. 12. 12. I think. I would say <clears throat> learn to say the word fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, this, Where did you hear this that? This book that really shaped me, it was a great book. It was called The Art of Possibility. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, the thing that I loved about it is I'm finally – Somebody's articulating what I've always believed about like uh-huh. optimism and life. And because I have this fundamental belief as a Christian, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, mm-hmm. which means the best days for me as a Christian are always ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Always. It doesn't matter how terrible the situation is. Like I could be in the Holocaust and the best days would always be ahead of me. Mm-hmm. This is so true for like this idea of hope. Hope, optimism is what keeps people living. Mm-hmm. Right? When someone loses hope, they're, they, they, they die. Yeah. They die, right? The, in, in Dante's Inferno, over the, the gateway over uh, to hell has this message. It says, abandon all hope, hmm. ye who enter here. Like, that's what hell wow. is, is a life without hope. So as Christians, hope is our fuel. It is our looking ahead with optimism and joy that the best days are always ahead. So this book, not uh, I don't think these authors are, are followers of Jesus, but they articulate this and, and it's called The Art of Possibility. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and they say, a lot of times what we, the way that we think is, oh man, Mikey, Dude, we were gonna we were gonna have so much fun today, but look outside. Right. It's dreary, it's rainy, it's cold. Mm-hmm. We we say but. 
oh man, we went on this road trip, but dot, dot, dot. And your wife, you know, we, we're, we're, oh man, we've been planning this trip for a year and now we're in Florida, but look, it's, it's cold rainy. and rainy all week, yeah. right? We say, but, and they're saying, learn to say, change, but to, and, mm-hmm. you know, Mikey, we were going to go outside and have fun mm-hmm. and it's raining and dreary <laughs> and like, think about all the new possibilities this opens up for us. Mm-hmm. And then you say the word and your response is going to be fascinating. Yeah. Like, no way. What, like, what is going to happen? So uh-huh. it's a, it's an optimistic view of the future and the way we can say this is because we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Like I am about to take my last breath. This is going to be fascinating. <laughs> and I'm going to see Jesus. Yeah. And so that's where I would say people that really struggle with depression, anxiety, this is a very important principle. Mm. Um, and, and it's really why Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice in prison in those circumstances um because that's yeah so changing but to end yep and seeing the fascinating possibilities it's good i only got one more i don't know if you got any more number 13 library cards are free which is another way of saying never stop learning Mm. now the fees at a library are not free but uh just turn them in on time you don't have to worry about that just the idea that like, I mean, if we're talking to college students here, what do college students need to know? Once you graduate college, you don't stop learning. You can, you can learn so much. I mean, dude, honestly, I learn more from just a, a random book that I pick up than a lot of my classes that I did in my liberal arts degree. And so I wonder if, if Jim Walker, I'd love to hear him riff on this oh, because man. One of the things he said is, because I was kind of saying that too, like, I don't remember a lot of what I learned in college. He's like, oh, Mark, that wasn't the purpose. Like, right. the purpose of college was to learn how to learn. Yeah. It was, it was, it was not necessarily like, I mean, some majors different than others. And, and you do probably remember more than what you think you remember. But, yeah. but he's like, the point of it was to learn how to acquire the knowledge, learn how to learn, mm-hmm. learn how to get the information out of a, a book or the information that you need um, is to acquire the skill of learning. Totally. And, and I think, I think uh, this idea of lifelong learner and, and the reason maybe, I don't know if we land with this one, but that's, deci- that's what a disciple is. A disciple yeah. Yeah. is a learning follower of Jesus. It's an apprentice of Jesus. It's somebody who, who is always watching and learning. Um, you say library cards are free. I would say, I don't know how to put this into a, a pithy little statement, yeah. but what I would say is um, the person you want to disciple you probably doesn't have time for you. So you have to figure out how to get into their life. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, hey, can you meet with me? Hey, can you come to this coffee shop? Because the person you want to disciple you doesn't have time to go to a coffee shop. Right. But what you do is you get around them and like, hey, is there some way I can serve you? Or, you you know, Mm -hmm. coming under them, alongside them, because chances are you come over to their house, maybe you watch their kids, maybe you serve them, maybe you uh, help them with dinner, maybe you 
clean up, help, or whatever the some situation event, is, some yeah. something like you're in their life. It's that 15 minutes of watching how they interact, how they carry themselves, how they run their their household, mm-hmm. how they, you know, in business, it's it's how they interact with that client or that employee or that, you know, just any situation uh, in ministry, you know, you're, you're observing people and mm-hmm. you're, um, you will learn more from, from that, but it's, it's learning how to be part of being a lifelong learner is, is, um, is serving. And, you know, I see college students and I just mm-hmm. admire this so much. All the students that, that babysit for our connection groups, mm. like I just, I am so proud of our students and mm-hmm. the way they step up and do that. Oh yeah. Because, and, and I, I would say a lot of them probably have, yeah, they get to see these families mm-hmm. and see how they, they interact. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, part of the lifelong learner. Yep. It's the library cards. And it's also, uh, figuring out how to get yourself in situations with people you want to be like and letting them shape you in sort of the unconventional ways. That's great. You got anything else? Oh man. Mikey, there's so much else, but I think, uh, you can get, you can get, um, overwhelmed by all the things I'll I'll do that and do that. And so I would just, I would just land with, with this, um, that, um, God's grace is so amazing. And, and, uh, this, this life of, this is not a, this is what makes this different from a lot of the podcasts Mm -hmm. that you might Mm -hmm. listen to of, you know, Tim Ferriss or, or Jocko or all these guys is that, that our podcast ends with um, the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ, that all these 12 things, uh, it's not about going out and doing these 12 things. Um, it's just simply coming to Jesus totally. and letting him by his grace and mercy just transform you um, into the person that that you are meant to be. Absolutely. It's a good word. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, man. It's fun. See you, folks. All right, there you have it, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you made it this far, one thing I forgot to mention on the front end is we have Missions 2020 coming up, November 6th and 7th. Uh, here at Veritas in Iowa City. You can sign up on our Salt Iowa City website or veritascommunity.org. Um, it's going to be $20. You get a free book with admission. Uh, we got some great speakers coming in. We're going to have some great worship. We're going to learn about what God's doing overseas, how we can partner with it, how we can pray, how we can be involved. And so uh, don't forget to sign up for that. Other than that, that's all I got. See you guys next time.